Hello everybody, I'm Israel Ortiz, Program Manager at Health Teamworks. Welcome back to the second part of the Health Equity Circles of Protection episode. Please continue listening to this fantastic conversation between Indra and Cecilia. Enjoy. One question that I have for you, and I think that in a lot of ways you've touched on it already, but as we think about, you know, day-to-day health tumors is a lot of work in the clinical microsystem. Like we're in a specific practice or we're in a specific health systems policies, or we're working with a community-based organization to come up with some type of um, community response to um, COVID or a diabetes or hypertension. So we're, we're at the level of direct um, impact one step away. When we think about the, the bigger macro system um, of, of healthcare, we have government, federal, state, and local levels of government. We've got payers. We've got providers of all different types of care. Um, employers, especially large employers that have a lot of impact on um, where their employees can seek care and how that's paid for and community-based organizations, where do you see the greatest opportunity for taking steps to address structural inequities? Well, I really think it's, I see the greatest opportunity with community-based organizations. As you were talking specifically about the, the place you are in the work and that you know, right there where the clinical decisions are getting made. I was thinking about how change is hard and in any any system change is hard. And the value that community-based organizations can bring to this conversation is that, that they aren't beholden to the same sorts of pressures as these other players. And so essentially what they can offer is insight into the kinds of change that would be worth making if these systems that are more beholden are more you know stressed and strained by various pressures if they could figure out how to resolve those stresses and strains so i think the the value of looking to see how community is responsive to the needs of their people is, you know, it's like a gold mine. <laughs> it is a veritable gold mine of, of insight, innovation, creativity, resilience, all kinds of things. If, but you know, it's not in a vacuum. That opportunity really needs to be leveraged by these bigger systems to, to you know, be meaningfully applied across bigger populations. Because, you know, scale is certainly one of the, I think, interesting challenges in our health system. Um, We know that some of these smaller community-based solutions are working on a small scale. And the question is, could it be, how do we scale? Um, but again, in terms of opportunities, I think that absolute opportunity is there by looking at what works and how it works at the community-based level. Mm-hmm. Many of the folks who listen to 
our podcast, um, who are on our mailing list, um, are not part of the obstetric community, except for insofar as family medicine um, are, are, are generalists. Um, my um, first pregnancy was attended by um, a family, my family medicine doc, who I um, greatly enjoyed um, working with um, through that process. Um, and I, I wonder if there are lessons that that you have for for providers or would convey to providers universally, not necessarily in the obstetrics world, um, as it relates to um, interactions with with patients and the way that they can inform. Um, steps towards achieving health equity, whether it's it's one-to-one -one or whether it's um, how they influence policy in their organizations? Well, first of all, shout out to the family practice docs and the generalists, my oldest son's um, pregnancy was attended by a family practice doc. And I also found that to be great. And so to answer your question, I kind of think one of the opportunities is for people who um, are more generalists, who aren't as narrowly focused to see themselves as part of the solution, to see themselves as part of the, the team that is going to tackle the inequities in the perinatal system. Um, I do think part of what has led us to this place we're at, which I have to reiterate is a bad place. Not only do we have terrible inequities, like unconscionable inequities, but we also generally just have poor outcomes compared to the rest of the world, especially with the resources that we have. So, <laughs> You know, I I think that everybody has a role. You don't have to think of yourself as an obstetrics provider mm -hmm. to see yourself as as in this effort. Mm -hmm. Partly just by the nature of the thing. Um, you know, the perinatal period really touches on it's this it's this cool, amazing arc <laughs> that takes someone from you know having care from a generalist because they're in the general population puts them in this zone for a period of time where they're in this other kind of category but then they return to being uh you know quote unquote regular person and and the multi-generational nature of the perinatal period too you're you're just you're gonna have people encountering lots of different people um and I think that opportunity for connection is key. I mean, especially if we're talking about stigma like we were a bit. If you're, if you are the person, if you are the one person who helps somebody feel seen and safe, that could be transformative. That can be transformative at the individual level, but I think it can be transformative at the systems level too, because once someone has that experience of, of truly feeling safe and feeling seen, they can begin to expect it 
from other interactions with other people in other places in the system. And I think that is transformative. And of course, as I'm saying that, I'm hearing, you know, Audrey Lord mm-hmm. and that idea that it is such a powerful force to know that you are valuable. Uh, um, love her work and um, just the sense of um, revolutionary belonging that um, her writing conveys. And um, as we kind of come full circle in this conversation, I want to go back to that circle of protection um, and the entire um, kind of formative concept of Elephant Circle. We, in our last episode of the podcast, talked about behavioral health integration, um, specifically in primary care. And I wonder if you could speak to um, how do we get past um, screening and referral to clinicians and um, to an approach that focuses on truly whole person connection and belonging in our healthcare system? No. How, how indeed? Um, <laughs> But again, I think it comes back to the way we think about the tools that we have. If we if we overvalue the tools of diagnosis in a sort of acute, narrowing, focusing kind of way, and those are cool tools, <laughs> but if we overvalue those tools at the expense of these other tools that that humans come built in with which is the tools of connection, of recognition, of, of seeing ourselves as connected to each other. I mean, that is a very human, innate human thing. And I, I do think part of, part of what has got us here in terms of explicit policies and in, in terms of practices or habits that get formed in the context of those policies is just relying too heavily on the 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 narrowing tools and just not relying enough on the other tools just seeing seeing people um you know the receptionist could do more to see people more holy and the biller could do more to see people more holy and then also the clinical staff could do more to see more holy. Everybody could do just a little bit. And collectively, I think that would help get us more towards the kind of integration of behavioral health that, that I think really community-based folks want. Because when you know community talks about this integration, they really are talking about that whole person kind of integration they're not talking about like when when this gets billed that we don't have to itemize these things in a certain way they're really talking about can somebody see the fact that i am having both physical pain and uh psychological distress 
and anxiety and stress. You know, this is literally just how I'm experiencing the world. So sometimes I feel that the solutions I talk about are are overly simplistic, but they're (laughs) because a lot of times it does come back to humanity. Be connected to your humanity, and then you can be connected to the humanity of others. But at the end of the day, I think it's true. Indra, what you you shared really resonates with me. And I think regularly about the ripple effect of the pandemic thus far um, and so much unmet behavioral health need. But all of that seems to be so very connected to um, this lack of connection, uh, lack of community. and. Um, the isolation that so many felt as a result and this shift, kind of seismic shift in how our day-to-day worked um, and even our access to um, our care, healthcare, um, family, um, all of those individuals and, and institutions that kind of gave us our, our social mooring. Um, as we're moving forward, there's so many Um, solutions that focus on resiliency and building individual resiliency. But I I hear in listening to you and in experiencing the the village circle model at Uzazi that um, individual resiliency isn't going to solve the behavioral health crisis in um, our country. It's gonna be drawing in and encircling each other um, with with community and you know valued and meaningful connection. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way before, but absolutely, resiliency as applied to an individual that is kind of just seen as outside of any context. Mm-hmm is still falling short of a critical piece of resiliency. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think anybody who personally has experience with somebody who's struggling with a substance use disorder or somebody who's struggling with mental health or somebody who is struggling with a chaotic family system knows that it takes a lot of humans (laughs) <laughs> like mm-hmm. the, the none of those things are things that can be handled alone they're just not they're just not so it really requires a whole systems view of which again it's kind of like seeing humans as mammals seeing looking at the ecology of us as beings as in our habitats <laughs> I think I think if you could zoom out and see us that way, us humans, as opposed to again zooming into the data points about how an individual's mental health is impacted or what the you know traits of a resilient human are. Of course, that's interesting, but I think it's it's more useful when it's connected to 
the the way that people live amongst other people. Indra, to kind of wrap us up, I have um, a personal philosophy that to advance um, in health equity and achieving um, a state where everyone's able to reach their highest human potential, um, we need a few things to happen in our country. I'm, I'm not uh, well-versed enough in global healthcare um, or global health and wellness to speak more broadly than that. Um, I believe that, it, as you shared before, community-based organizations need to be on par um, with um, clinical organizations in terms of their funding through mechanisms of um, healthcare insurance coverage. Um, so there needs to be some pipeline of funding to CBOs to support their work that also allows them to remain wholly independent from the influence of um, payers, um, but beholden to a set of goals that are community informed and community developed. Um, and that's one. I think that there are some, some systems um, that need large scale and systemic um, restructuring um, to be effective and supportive for all communities. And, and some of those um, are our education system, um, the family um, services system or child protective services, depending on where you are. Um, and finally, our kind of penal system, ranging from um, police and that first interaction through incarceration and our judicial system. And then kind of finally, I, I feel like there, um, like you were saying as well, are some rules. We need some, some kind of general rules and some general measures. Um, if you will, sort of a, a national scorecard on health equity that becomes the standard, just like we've got HEDIS measures and whatnot. There are very well-defined equity measures and CMS is um, taking steps to um, apply those more globally in Medicare and Medicaid, but we need those for commercial payers as well. Um, if you were to say that, that there are kind of three or four big steps, kind of like those um, big stones I just rolled out there that we need to take as a nation to transform the health and wellness landscape for our people, what would your three be? Oh, wow. Well, first of all, I, I definitely agree with this vision of the community-based organizations being funded and resourced so that they can be on par with the other players in the system. I recently have been just really palpably feeling how there are those of us who are operating in a health system. It's just this other health system. 
and it is the the community-based health system. There are so many things that we do for each other to support each other's health that that aren't seen as part of the health system, but really, really are. Um, whether that is one of my top three, I don't know if I can have you know the same top three, but um, if you do, we can work together to make them happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well then I'm definitely gonna add that one join join you in that one um you know i think the making healthcare something that somebody can make loads and loads of money on is a problematic proposition i am not convinced that that actually serves health, certainly not on a population level. Mm -hmm. it, I could see where if you have a lot of money to spend, you could advance individual health with a lot of money, but, and then somebody could make a lot of money. But I think that would be one of the things that I would need to see changed. I think maybe it's possible to do while maintaining some privatization, but there would just have to be a lot more, um, you know, rules and regulations in terms of managing that market. It just, yeah, it's too, it's still too um, corruptible. And by that, I mean that the, the idea, the desire, to increase the bottom line for a company can be in conflict with the idea, the desire to increase the health of people, especially the health of a population. And if there's not, again, that's a place where rules are really valuable. Rules can help us sort out those kinds of conflicts. We can prioritize values and principles in the face of that kind of tension. And I think we just have to have more rules and principles that prioritize health. So that's that's my other big one. Um, and then I think I think another big one has to be more work around prioritizing the role of the person as a voice, as a leader in their own healthcare, so that systems circle around like that elephant circle to honor and listen to the wisdom of people about their own bodies, about their own spirits, about their own needs. And that is about policy. Um, a thing I think I wanted to mention as you were talking too is that we we got here due to lots of deliberate policy choices. And a lot of times we don't value the things today that those policy choices were built on. Um, so I really think it's important to, to have a historical view and understand health and health systems through the lens of history. Um, you know, part of why I shared the story of my great grandmother giving birth in Colorado is is because there were policy choices very deliberately 
about, you know, how she was viewed as a human, as a Spanish-speaking um, mestiza from Southern Colorado in that era. There, in all kinds of ways, she wasn't valued. Um, and all kinds of policies, not just specific to health, but of course, all those policies then impact health. Um, so it's no surprise that today, these systems that were built on those policies, literally, literally, they were <laughs> like, I, I, we could do a whole other podcast about, you know, medical anthropology, basically. Um, it's no surprise that where we are now doesn't achieve the ends of equity because this these policies were not built to achieve the ends of equity. Indra, that was um, the perfect point to wrap up on today. And I will take you up on your um, idea of a future podcast on medical anthropology. I truly enjoyed this conversation and I hope that in the near future we can have more. Me too. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you and also working with you. You as well. Thank you. I want to thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode and stay tuned. Every month we are releasing a new episode where we are having conversations with healthcare stakeholders and community members on how to make healthcare work. Don't forget to check out the amazing resources listed under the description of this episode. If you would like to suggest topics for our podcast, please reach us at solutions at healthteamworks.org. To learn more about Health Teamworks, please visit healthteamworks.org and follow us on social media. Health Teamworks Chat, conversations on how to make healthcare work, is a production of Health Teamworks. For more episodes, please visit Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.